Hello and welcome to the Swim Brief. I am Chris DeSantis and this week on the Swim Brief I'm recording solo with a few smaller ideas I've been toying around. One of them's a little bit bigger than the other one after I wrote it all out. Um, on the Swim Brief I discuss ideas from my coaching and from the coaches I interact with. Recently I've been on a run of guests that uh, you know the Other People Matter tour uh, we can call it guess that really impacted my 2023 and continue to impact my 2024 and beyond. Um, this week, of course, as I said, I'm taking a little bit of diversion to talk about some other odds and ends, some other housekeeping. Just uh, before we get into today's topic, uh, later this week, I'm going to bring on Corey Manley, who's a data scientist at USA Swimming. Uh, I read uh, just recently, actually, it came out in December, his analysis of USA Swimming data on club excellence. And I really want to take a deep dive and talk about that more with him. I had a chance to meet Corey a couple of years ago in person at a, at a Futures Championship. Um, so if you're a regular listener and you have something you want me to ask Corey, um, we have a couple days, I think, from when this podcast comes out to, to reach out and get that to me. Uh, and you might find that it, that it makes its way in the podcast. The other piece of housekeeping is been teasing on here that I went on Nikki Ketz podcast, the sports bra, jog straps, and crystals podcast. Uh, if that, if you want to look for the name to search for it, um, that podcast is going to be out the same day that this is released. So if you want to hear me in a different format, uh, me getting interviewed, talking about some of the stuff uh, I've been working on personally with regards to emotions. Um, you can go and listen to that. I, I encourage you to listen to that. I think it's a, we had a really nice conversation. I enjoyed so much being on the podcast. And uh, so you might enjoy it if you listen to it as well. Um, as I said, I have a few things to discuss today. And um, the first is how to prepare people for their next step of development, a theme around that. Uh, the second is, is kind of along the lines of some of the superstitions we've held on to in the sport of swimming. And then finally, uh, for those of you who've been following my own swimming progress, I'm going to collect some of my own thoughts on my recent swim meet. So to get to that first topic on development, um, you're going to go on a wild ride. I hope you're ready for a tour through the mind of Chris DeSantis here as we start to think about this. But um, I'm going to tell a story um, about my own family and, uh, has to do with, with my daughter. Um, like a lot of families, uh, the DeSantis's decamped to the suburbs mid pandemic. We moved in 2021, um, from Jersey city, uh, which if you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, you, you may remember references to Jersey city and, uh, we moved to Morristown, New Jersey. And we've had the great fortune of doing that because I tell people, over and over again that uh, Morristown, New Jersey is, is basically paradise on earth. Uh, my daughter, Olivia, she's in the fourth grade and for the third straight year maintains she has the best teacher ever. And I want to zero in on one aspect of her teacher that I've been sort of following throughout the year and give my thoughts as they relate to development. Uh, Olivia has more or less had some form of homework since kindergarten Something I'm definitely not a fan of, as you'll hear more about in a second, but by fourth grade, it seems, I think, generally accepted, and I would say this is, uh, when I say generally accepted, like, by most people 
in the United States that the school day does not end at school and that some work will be done independently outside of school. Um, in our case, I noticed pretty quickly through this year that it seems like Olivia has next to no homework. If anything, the amount of work that she's doing outside of school seems to be less than in third grade or second grade. Now, I, again, I admit I have a very strong bias in general against homework that goes back roughly 30 years, uh, and I'm 40 in case you're doing the math, but I really love that she is unencumbered by homework. Um, and, but in talking with some other parents, I realized that, you know, not all of them are as content. Uh, one of her classmates, parents, and I were having a conversation about the teacher. And I said, like, wow, this guy's great. You know, Olivia loves him. She's having a great time in school. Seems like she's learning a lot. And this other parent said, basically, yeah, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't give enough homework. And it's, it's quote, not preparing them for the increased workload in future grades. I have heard a version of this assumption throughout my career as a coach as well, and as you're about to hear, I've, I've used this assumption um, in some shape or form. And that's really where I want to dig in. The log logic is pretty basic and not altogether flawed. We work backwards from where we want to end up within a developmental model and then try to make each step before that incremental on the way to that. And I said I would give you an example of when I use this in my own coaching life, um, lest you think I'm pretending to be, you know, uh, high and mighty here. When I was head coach of a Danish swim club, we had a very steep curve, particularly for boys, up to the terminal group within our club. Um, known over there, we called it the first team, right? So we had four teams. You started on the fourth team and you progressed your way up um, to try to get to the, the first team. When I started coaching in Denmark, this is not the case anymore, and I, I do think that this has helped, but um, when I started coaching over there, the, the first couple of years I was coaching in Denmark, the age of where athletes graduated from being a junior to a senior was offset two years between girls and boys. That is, girls were juniors starting the first day of the calendar year in which they turned 15. So if you were born in... 2010, because <laughs> this is coming up, um, time does march on. If you were born in, born in 2010 under you know the previous regime, on January 1st, even if you were born December 31st, 2010, right? So you just turned 14 the day before January 1st, 2025. You were a junior that day, right? And it was, and you, you as a, as a girl, you became no longer a junior the first day of the year you turned 17. Boys, it was 17 and then 19. So it was, as I said, it was offset by two years. And what this meant was that as we worked backwards, we started boys two years later. And I'm going to use boys as the example here because what I noticed was it created this really, really steep curve in terms of development, at least when we measured it in terms of how much swimming that the kids on, or how much training that the kids on the team did, right? So boys, because of this, usually 
were 10 or maybe even 11 years old by the time they began on the fourth team. And on that fourth team, if I recall correctly, we had about three hours of swimming. I think it was three one-hour practices a week, right? The third team, okay, so when you moved up to the next team, which for a lot of these boys took about a year, just about a year, their training time would double to six hours. And within another year, they'd be on the second team, some of them, the good ones, the ones that were performing the best, right? And then their training load would double again to 12 hours. Now, they might spend two years on that second team and then get up to the first team where you got about 20 hours of training a week. And I looked at this and I was like, this is crazy. It's too steep. I tried to flatten the curve, putting more hours into lower levels and also reducing the leap that, that people made up to the top group. Because it was sort of like when you, you moved up to the top, it was like automatically assumed you're just going to come to like every single practice that's offered, right? Versus having any kind of transitional period from 12 hours of training a week to 20 hours of training a week. One of the reasons why I adjusted from the top down was first because I could control it, right? And, and if we go back to the school example, you'll see why the schools are doing what they are. And, that, and part of it is that, you know, whoever's teaching fourth grade has absolutely no influence <laughs> over what's happening later, right? Um, so I could control it. But the other th reason, I mean, once I recognized that I could control it, one of the reasons I made an adjustment at the top end is because workload does not scale linearly, right? And what do I mean by not scaling literally? It's going to bring me back to my point about homework. What I mean is that the difference between 12 hours of training and 20 hours of training is not the same as going from six hours of training to 10, even though the ratios are the same, right? 12 to 20 is the same as six to 10, I think. Hopefully I can still make it through elementary school math, right? Um, I don't know where this point is, right? I don't know th with this much precision, but when you're working with young people, every hour beyond a certain point is much more challenging than the previous one. And that scales upwards. So the hours to get from 12 to 16 hours of training, right? Are not proportional to 16 to 20, right? In fact, the, the, the hours from 16 to 20, the challenge of adding that onto what you're doing, I don't know precisely, but it might be twice as challenging as adding those previous four hours or three times. Or again, it's kind of an exponential curve, right? It's not a linear curve. So it's a lot more. And I think this is always why you should be careful when scaling development. The math is not simple. It's complex and small errors in absolute terms of hours compound dramatically, right? So if you, if you, if you, you, we all recognize that there's a level to which you can push people too hard. Um, and if you really lack a sense of where that is, then a, a small error can have a giant impact, right? So back to homework. I think we work with the same assumptions. If the workload is massive, this is basically the one I see at play in a lot of, you know, good public school systems or private schools, right? 
the workload is, is big at elite colleges and you live in a town where people go to aspire to go to elite colleges, work backwards from that. So we ramp up the workload in high school and then we ramp up the workload in middle school to prepare people for high school. And we ramp up the workload in elementary school to prepare people for middle school so they can prepare for high school so they can prepare to go to an elite college. We try to get students to a higher developmental level earlier. And if you brute force people to a higher development level, you will be successful, but you also run the risk of, you know, pushing too far on that exponential curve. Um, And I think what a lot of people assume is if you get students or athletes to a higher developmental level earlier, that translates to greater achievement later. That is bullshit. Sorry, that's my one swear. (laughs) That's not actually how development works. Okay? Because development in itself is not linear. I think we like if, if I could just teach a coaching class that's like nothing is linear and stop building your models and assumptions off linear growth. Um, I guess it'd be a really short class because I just say that. But <laughs> I would love for that idea to really penetrate. Um, I'll give you an example of where I saw this, you know, attempt at sort of brute forcing a developmental milestone, again, in my daughter's life going through school, um, learning to read. I was totally shocked when I, my daughter entered kindergarten, this was back in Jersey City, and I realized that the the school's assumption was that she, quote, already knew how to read. And other parents, I, I was uh, apparently not uh, engaged enough with what they were doing to know, but seemed to have drilled their kids to memorize words and sort of brute force learn how to read in kindergarten. My wife and I had not done that. Um, and I was totally flabbergasted. I went to back to school night and got reminded by the teacher to have my daughter quote, complete her, complete her reading logs. And I was saying, she can't read. Aren't you going to teach her to read before she has to start completing a reading log? The thing that I believe with regards to pushing kids to learn something before they're truly developmentally ready is that it's all short-term gain. You can absolutely pour resources into making someone skilled at something before they're really developmentally ready to learn it. And the advantage gained can be erased seemingly overnight. Because when a kid is actually ready to tap into something, they pick it up really, really fast. And it's hard. It's hard for all of us. It's hard for coaches. It's hard for parents. It's hard for kids to be that patient, to like wait for stuff to sort of lock into place and be ready to just like make giant progress. So basically, I think that while it's appropriate to have some homework, I mean, if you're you're going to eventually load people down with homework, and I, I have my own feelings about that, um... But I, you know, it's a, it, there's something. And, and by the way, my, my daughter's teacher does assign homework. He just happens to uh, give people time. And she's also in an after-school program where she gets a little bit more time to do schoolwork before she comes home. And um, 
Well, I kind of disagree with the concept of homework writ large, as I just said, I also don't agree that homework now really prepares you for homework later. I think there's an extent to which we're brute forcing kids under the assumption that doing something now is necessary to prepare them for later. When in reality, like, okay, if we're operating under the assumption that people are going to have to do work independently, right? Let's actually think about when they're ready to do that and really take advantage of that so that we don't create the kind of drudgery um, that I know I experienced. Again, I got my own biases about the school system. Okay, that point was way longer than I thought it would be. Let's get on to a weird swimming superstition. The next two are going to be much quicker. Um, Yesterday, I was talking to one of my clients, um, I said slash, uh, another volunteer producer for this pod, podcast, Rob Fox of Fox Swim Club. And we were discussing shaving, right? The idea that like, you taper for a meet and you shave. And we both agree on one point. Shaving for every meet would be a bad idea. I, I thought about this after I got off the phone with Rob, but um, I can remember, uh, you know, back in the day when I used to be a pro sports fan, I used to follow um, you know, I was following all the Boston sports teams, right? And um, I was a huge Red Sox fan, first and foremost. And so one of the heartbreaks of my uh, of my childhood was watching Roger Clemens leave the Red Sox. Um, and he went on, I think he pitched a couple of years for the Blue Jays, and then he went to pitch for the Yankees, which is the worst of all. And I remember at some point, um, during his Yankees tenure, Roger Clemens was like shaving down for every start. So like, you know, he would start every four or five days. I guess that's how often a, a baseball starting pitcher starts. Right. And, um, he would be shaving. He would be, you have like fully shaved arms. Look it up. Yeah. I th- I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sure I'm right about that. Um, we kind of don't believe in swimming, right. That shaving every four or five days is really going to help you performance-wise. I think it's one of those things that everyone seems to understand works um, and does without question in swimming, But and I'm 100% sure it works, but I also don't really understand how it works, or more precisely, what are the key factors in making sure it works? Again, when I was a college coach, we would instruct women on our team to cease shaving at the beginning of the season. As far as I can tell, at least the feedback that they gave me at that time, they were not thrilled about this. Um, I am very certain that you need some period of not shaving in order to get the boost you're trying to get from shaving. But just how long is this period? Like, how long do you have to be unshaved to get the benefit from shaving or get the optimal benefit from shaving? Does anybody know? As far as I can tell, there is no research into how long is the optimal amount of time to take between shaving for maximum performance impact. For all we know, it could be three weeks. I doubt that it's that short, but it might be three months, and we all need to adjust our mid-season meets. <laughs> I mean, I really don't know. If if anyone who listens to this is nerdier than me and actually knows anything about this topic, I want to hear from you. Email me, swimbriefpodcast at gmail.com. Message me on socials, Christy Coach on Instagram, or fill out a contact form at christycoach.com. Okay, on to my final point. As many listeners know, I had a meet about a week and change ago 
If you're only a podcast listener, you haven't heard much about it since then, but I did share some stuff on my Instagram account live around the beat. Um, I provide updates on my own swimming because I think they're useful to you. I think they're useful to athletes. I think they're useful to coaches. I think they're useful to parents. So here are a few things uh, that I that I am thinking about now that I've had some time <laughs> to think. And, and I very purposely gave myself time to think before I collected these. Um, first things first, I was massively disappointed in the results. There is no way around that. I, I was disappointed because I really thought I was going to go fast. Um, uh, I anchored my goals really aggressively ahead of where I was this past May. Um, and ended up being well short of that, except for basically in my 50 free, which was, I guess, within a couple, uh, percentage points, you know, um, and I've already heard from a few people who are uncomfortable with me expressing that. And I want to address that because I think there's a misconception when people think about optimism and pessimism. A lot of people believe it is pessimistic to have negative emotions. When I say I was disappointed in the meet, it is because I had a negative emotional reaction to the results. I, I went through what I talked to athletes that I coach all the time, I touched the wall, I looked at the clock, and, and my heart broke a little bit. That is not something you can change. So I don't suggest trying. Um, except, I guess you could change it by really not caring about what you're doing anymore. But that's the kind of complete obliteration of yourself as a competitor. So I don't suggest that as a solution. So I really say like, that's not something you can change. I can say, honestly, for the first time in my life, I am not trying one bit to avoid that bad feeling because feeling bad is not a problem. It is not pessimism. It's just that it's feeling bad. And I think where people get into trouble is they either try to deny their emotional state, like, Oh, I, I shouldn't feel bad. That is a completely fruitless endeavor. <laughs> or they launch completely destructive thoughts from their emotional state and then treat those as unchangeable, right? They, 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 they cannot separate them from the emotional state that created them. And I can say I was extremely tempted to do this. And I still am. <laughs> I wanted to dismiss. I mean, I just want like in the, in the moment feeling that disappointment I wanted to dismiss all the things that led to me thinking I would do one in the first place. You know, the training I've been doing for the last six, seven months, it was total BS and I was just fooling myself and how could I be so stupid? All of that <laughs> went through my mind, right? But you don't make progress by constantly destroying your own foundation. You can only build to the sky by continuing to stack what you're doing onto what you've already done. So that's what I'm actually going to try to do. All that conceptual talk, here's what I'm actually looking to stack onto what I've done in the future. In strength training, uh, I'm going to increase the frequency of my training from two times a week and three times a week. Part of that's just a function of I built a home gym. It's easier for me to get out there and I think I can 
get a little more training in. Um, and I, I want to use that. Um, in terms of what I'm doing lifting wise, uh, <laughs> uh, for fear of joining the sprint revolution, uh, I am actually going to reduce the weights of many of my exercises and in, in, ex, increase the speed of the concentric, the working, uh, or sort of the contraction phase of my lips lifts while keeping a slow eccentric. Um, and this came out of, uh, my conversation post meet with one of my volunteer coaches, Trevor Gray. Uh, I think I have very good strength, but perhaps can't apply as much of it, uh, very specifically, very powerfully. So that's going to be one of my efforts to change that in the water. I am going to increase the amount of high intensity training that I do. I've been through a half a year plus, as I said, six, seven, maybe even eight months of, um, where I, I basically did not have a low end <laughs> training when I competed in May. And now I, I have something there. Right. Um, and I think maybe again, a lot of this comes out of my conversation with Trevor. He's the one I've talked to more than anybody else lost some of the speed I had when I was that lopsided, right? So there's, there's advantages and disadvantages to being lopsided. I think in the long term, getting a better low end just helps you overall, but it can, um, it can dull the edge a little bit. Uh, the nice thing about that is that can easily be corrected, you know, um, and basically, I'm going to do more all-out sprints, long rest, some more race pace sets. And finally, outside of training, I am finally, I just used finally twice in the same sentence. Uh, I guess I guess I'm really believing that this is the ultimate moment. Um, I'm working to address my nearly lifelong insomnia with the help of some better education from the field of cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. I've identified one reason why I've really struggled for a long time, and that is a strive for perfection meant that I often am trying to force myself to sleep, right? I'm trying to force sleep to happen every night because my constant perception is that uh, I am, that I'm like, that I'm sleeping poorly. So therefore, like, it puts pressure on each successive night, right? And so, like, I got I didn't sleep ideally last night, so now I got to go to bed even earlier, and I got to fall asleep faster. And you know, that's not really how sleep works, as I'm very stubbornly learning. Uh, hopefully, for the last time, but maybe not. And uh, so, I'm putting actually myself on a, I'm going the other direction. I'm staying up a bit later. I'm I'm staying up a bit later, but then making myself wake up, uh, at a normal time. So I sort of restricted that sleep window a little bit, really interesting concept that, um, I've never tried, uh, before. And, um, it is actually helping the quality of my sleep a little bit more and getting me a little bit less dependent on medication and all that. So I, I finding it really, really interesting. I'll keep everybody, um, informed and all of the above should be taken with the disclaimer that I'm not a doctor and I'm doing this actually in cooperation with a doctor's supervision, which is exactly what you should do in regards to your own personal uh, medical situations. One last thing before we wrap this podcast up, 
Um, I want to uh, address, uh, I want to say something about a, uh, a sponsor of this podcast that I haven't mentioned in a long time, The Magic Five. The Magic Five is an awesome product. And I say that because you're probably wondering why I'm bringing them up. Uh, out of the blue and and honestly the reason why is because I just got another new pair of Magic 5 goggles and I love the goggles genuinely I love them now the nature of the sponsorship agreement that I made with Magic 5 is like a lot of these podcast sponsorships um, basically I, I have not gotten any compensation from I don't want to say basically I have not received any money from Magic 5 to sponsor this podcast. The idea was I would give a code and people who listen to this would buy goggles and I'd get a kickback from that. I am not very proud to report I have sold to zero pairs of goggles through that method. Um, but I want you guys to all understand people who are listening to this podcast and, and, um, and just set an expectation in case we ever get another sponsor again, maybe not based off what I'm, <laughs> what I'm saying and what I'm about to say. Um, I don't advertise stuff. I, I wouldn't agree to shill something to you if I didn't think it was genuinely, like, I, I didn't genuinely like it. So I guess I want to say um, that uh, I want to admit that I'm a poor goggle salesman, but I want... To be very clear, I think it's Magic 5 product is awesome. And I think you're insane to spend $30, $25, $30 on a, quote, nice pair of goggles from one of the major manufacturers when you can get a custom pair from Magic 5. My, my first pair lasted me. You can probably date it from um, when they joined on as a podcast, but I easily was still kicking at eight or nine months of wearing it. Um, so I think they're more durable than regular goggles. They're so much more comfortable than regular goggles and you're going to pay like a little bit more money. So I, 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 I personally, I just, I think they're a great product. I think, um, I just think, I just think they're really, really good. Uh, I'm sorry that I haven't been better <laughs> at selling them. And, uh, I don't know this will convince anybody else to buy them. I'm not even giving my code out. I just think they're great. Um, and I, I continue to really, really like the Magic 5. Um, anyway, thanks for listening. Look forward to Corey Manley next week. Contact me at sunbriefpodcast@gmail.com, Christy Coach on Instagram, or christycoach.com, and I will see you then.